Welcome to Andy Staples on three. It's a pick show. Jacob Hester, former LSU great, will join us to pick games against the spread and um, one one particular total that we, we have to pick every single week. And it's just, it's the law. And you'll see, he, he brought a prop for it. It's, it's perfect. But first, we got to talk about a little bit of news. And, and this news comes from GQ, where Caleb Williams, USC quarterback, reigning Heisman Trophy winner, looking good, wearing the, uh, the mesh jersey and the, the pants that look like Jinkos, which I guess are back now, uh, with a money quote from his dad. That's very interesting and very 2023, not something you would have thought, because obviously we are operating under the assumption that Caleb Williams will be headed to the NFL after this season. And I think he probably will be. But Carl Williams, Caleb's dad, says to GQ, so if there's not a good situation, the truth is he can come back to school. And Carl Williams did not come to this quote lightly. He talked to Archie Manning, who his career Probably not what it could have been because he got drafted by a really bad team. The Saints were a bad franchise at the time, and his career got derailed. Archie Manning, also the father of Eli, who forced a draft day trade from the Chargers to the Giants because Eli said, I ain't playing for the Chargers. Because at the time, he didn't feel like it was a very well-run organization. Now, they, they got it figured out with, with Drew Brees and then Phillip Rivers, but he wasn't going. So, and, and that's, that was Carl Williams point. Like the, the, you're going to go to the team that was the worst in the league. And a lot of times they're the worst in the league because they're poorly run and not just by the coach and not just by the GM, but by the ownership group. And listen, we all know the Cardinals are trying to tank this season. That has been made abundantly clear. If you saw the, uh, the hype video with, with the pump-up speech from the new head coach the other day. They ain't trying to win games. They are trying to lose for Caleb. So you're looking at that and going, this is a franchise that just bailed on two first-round quarterbacks. Remember, they, they drafted Josh Rosen, and then a year later, they're done with Josh Rosen, and they're drafting Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray was the number one overall pick, just like Caleb Williams probably will be. And so... I get it. Like if Arizona winds up with the number one pick and I'm the Williams family, I'm looking at this and I'm going, Hmm, Caleb has a Dr. Pepper ad. He has a Wendy's ad. He has a deal with beats. He's doing pretty well for himself. Maybe he has two Heisman's at that time. His marketability will be off the charts. So while he probably wouldn't make as much as he'd make in the first year of a, an NFL contract as the first overall pick, What's it worth to you to have that extra year to maybe land with a different franchise? That's the question. So, again, we don't know if the Cardinals will be the team that picks. You know, what if it's the Texans? They just took C.J. Stroud this year. What, what, what would they do in that situation? And remember, the team that thinks they're going to be getting a number one pick isn't always that team. Last year, the Texans probably should have been the team that got the number one pick, but Lovey Smith was, was playing to win. Davis Mills was playing a win on the last day of the season. And they won. I believe they beat the Colts. And then the Bears got the number one pick. The year before that, the Jets went on a mini winning streak. I think they won too, too late. 
and it cost them Trevor Lawrence. And they end up drafting Zach Wilson number two. So you don't know who's going to who's gonna be in that number one spot. You don't know which NFL team has the wheels just fall off, though it certainly seems like the Cardinals are trying to be that team early and often. But if it's January and, and you've just got the draft order and you're Caleb Williams, you can look at this and make a really informed decision. And this is one of those that you couldn't make probably two years ago before NIL. This situation now, Caleb Williams can recoup a lot of the income he would lose through NIL. I mean, he, he'd be worth seven figures easy, multiple seven figures probably. Again, still not what he'd make, but if it's the difference between going to a franchise where you feel like you can be long-term successful and one that you feel is going to ruin your career, I think it's a pretty easy decision. So that's a new wrinkle. In college football. And I know, uh, like, the AD at Arkansas, Hunter Juracek, he wrote an op-ed saying this was somehow a bad thing, that good players might come back to school, which is the dumbest thing ever because they've been complaining about good players leaving early. So, no, a, a player who would come back with the ultimate star power would be great for college football. As, as Lincoln Riley says, be great for college football on the West Coast. That's what he says USC has responsibility to the West Coast to be good. It would be great for college football on the West Coast to have Caleb Williams on the West Coast with USC again. This is – it gives them leverage. You know, the, I mentioned the, the Manning thing, that the Eli Manning thing. The only other situation I can think of like this where a quarterback actually had leverage other than Kyler Murray, who could have gone and played Major League Baseball, was John Elway. Remember, John Elway in 1983 refused to play for the Colts. He said, if you draft me, I will not play for you. I have been drafted by the Yankees in baseball – I will go play for the Yankees. And he meant it. And so the Colts picked him, but they traded him to the Broncos after that, a few days later, because he was not going to report. He was going to go play for the Yankees. Now, if the number one pick in the draft still has college eligibility remaining, there is a chance that they could decide they don't want to do it. Now, the, the deadline is still the deadline. That hasn't changed. It's, it's possible those rules change also, where you could enter your name in the draft and then still come back. But right now, the deadline is still the deadline. So we would find out in mid-January if that person is going or staying. But this could be a more frequent situation. There aren't many guys as obvious as Caleb Williams in terms of potential number one overall pick. And yes, he might not be. We've, we've done this before where we anointed somebody the number one overall pick for an entire offseason and then the season happens and they're not. They wind up going somewhere else. Matt Barkley uh, famously dropped way down in the draft. We were talking about him as a potential number one overall pick if he left early, but he came back. Caleb Williams, I don't think, would, would drop. I mean, he, he's got a really special skill set. Now, Drake May, NFL folks love him too. But I just think this is really interesting because that – potential number one overall pick is so valuable from an NIL standpoint that they do have a legitimate choice there. They can live comfortably wherever they are. And, and Caleb Williams was living comfortably before he ever went to college. So it, that makes the decision even more, you know, even easier for him if he wants to stay in college. So a lot of people are going to be able to make this decision. We thought it was going to be lower in the draft. We thought it was going to be people who might be a fourth round, fifth round, sixth round pick who will come back 
enjoy some NIL money and potentially make more money by being drafted higher the following year. This is a different wrinkle to that. We'll see what happens, but I, I don't blame Carl Williams for saying that. If, if, I, if I were watching the Arizona Cardinals right now as the father of the presumptive number one pick, I would be worried about that too. So I, I get it. Just another piece of the NIL era that maybe we hadn't considered that, hey, maybe he doesn't go anywhere. Maybe, maybe he just goes into the draft, goes number one, doesn't come back. But I think there's, there's a chance if it's the Cardinals, another year at USC would look mighty appetizing right then. Next up, our Matt Connolly on three. It was at Dabo Sweeney's press conference on Wednesday night and got this quote from the coach. If we do what we did off, he was talking about he loved what he saw from Clemson's offense in that 28-7 loss to Duke with the exception of a few mistakes. And, and obviously, the huge mistakes were two fumbles in the red zone that cost them points. I mean, they, they were going to score touchdowns or field goals, probably. They end up fumbling, and obviously Duke takes it the other way. But here's what Dabo said. If we do what we did offensively for the rest of the year, we won't lose another game. It's just that simple. And I'd say, yes, if you average 5.3 yards a carry for the rest of the year, that's, that's great. But if you average 4.4 yards a pass attempt, which you averaged on Monday against Duke, you will definitely not win every game this year. You will not go 11-1. and one. one thing, Duke may not be the best defense you play. Mike Elko, great defensive tactician, and Duke's talent has obviously been upgraded in the Elko era. So they are one of the better teams that, that Clemson will play. But in terms of defense, right now, Florida State, NC State, Notre Dame, probably more talented on defense than Duke. I mean, almost definitely more talented on defense than Duke. Miami, probably more talented than, than Duke on defense. These are... <laughs> this is not going to be easy for them and i i just that that doesn't make any sense and i realize you're trying to to get your team back after a a pretty devastating loss i mean that that is a a tough way to lose a game but the other problem that that should scare you if you're Dabo sweeney is you also gave up 6.6 yards a carry to duke i don't know that duke's gonna have the best rushing attack of any team you play either this is, this is bad. This is, this is very bad. You're going to have to play better, Clemson, if you're going to win the rest of your games. I mean, that, that, and that's a, that's a big ask right now. Given what we saw on Monday, that's a really big ask. But no, if, if they do what they did offensively against Duke, if they do that again, if that is the offense we're going to see this season, that team's going 7-5. and five. If the offense is a little bit better... Yes, they may win eight, nine, 10 games. Maybe they are 11 and one if the offense improves dramatically. But if they do what they did the other night, minus the, the fumbles in the red zone, they're going to lose a bunch of games. Remember, the only touchdown they scored was gifted to them by Duke with a muff punt that allowed them to take over in the red zone. They, they were not good in any facet of the game. You can talk about how weird it was, how you gain more yards. I, I, I know there's a fan base when they heard 
people talking about Clemson gaining more yards than Duke in that game. It was going, oh boy, oh boy. Florida fans remember Dan Mullen saying that after losing to Kentucky in 2021. Well, who gained more yards? Don't matter. It's who scored more points. And if we're going to dive into the stats, let's dive into the stats. 4.9 yards per attempt. I think I said 4.4 earlier. I'm sorry. I shorted you half a yard. 4.9 yards per pass attempt is awful. Terrible. That's not going to get it done. And all of the stuff that, that we said, and I was not the only person with that take. Lots of people said, Dabo, this is why you use the transfer portal. If you don't have receivers who can separate, you go find one or two receivers who can separate. And it actually makes it easier for everybody, including your quarterback. But you can't do anything about that right now. The portal's closed right now. You're not getting anybody else. You got to work with what you got. And what you got is an offense that averaged 4.9 yards per pass attempt against Duke. And now you got to play Florida State and Notre Dame and NC State. And that doesn't seem great. But we'll find out. Maybe Dabo's right. Maybe they're going 11 and 1 the rest of the, you know, for the rest of the season. I, I just I can't see it. It, it is it is very hard to imagine based on what we saw at the end of the game the other night with Duke just ramming the ball down Clemson's throat. That was probably the most shocking part of it. It was at, it, it, I was at the Florida State LSU game on Sunday, and it was very similar to the how Florida State did LSU in the second half, where it kept going and going and getting worse and worse, and then at the end, Florida State was just roaring through LSU. And that's the same thing Duke was doing to Clemson, which is stunning to see because Clemson's defense just doesn't let that happen very often so a lot of work to be done at Clemson and I, I get that Dabo needs to to stay positive and keep his team up and and maybe he's ripping them behind the scenes and and trying to put a good face on it for the public but no what what they did the other night will not be good enough it will not win them the rest of their games that's it's just that simple you know what else is simple? Picking games. There's a spread, sure. But you see who you like. You go with your gut. And you pick. We're going to pick games tonight. We have a brand new sponsor. And all these pick shows now will be sponsored by FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Get ready for the football season with incredible offers from FanDuel. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube or YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com staples and kick off the football season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL, but of course... You can play college football games on FanDuel as well. The games we'll be talking about today, Colorado, Nebraska, the Cyhawk game, Iowa, Iowa State, Texas A&M, Miami, Texas, Alabama. A lot of huge games this week. FanDuel is the place to go. So go to FanDuel.com slash Staples. Download that app. Get yourself signed up. If you're a new customer, $5 gets you 200 in bonus bets, fanduel.com slash staples. All right, now it is time to make our picks against the spread. 
my special guest picker this week, former LSU running back Jacob Hester. He is, man, he, he's all over it. This is a guy who watches the tape. This is a guy who knows the schemes, understands how all these teams work. This was a lot of fun. Here's Jacob. Our guest picker this week, and we're going to make sure he actually picks the games. Our, our, ours last week didn't always say what he was picking, so we got to keep records here. Jacob Hester, former LSU running back, star of Swamp Kings. They actually did mention your four touchdowns against the Gators in Swamp Kings. And uh, also, you can hear him on SiriusXM off campus every uh, every weekday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and on 104.5 ESPN Radio in Baton Rouge. Yeah, hey, glad to be here. I got a couple of questions. I, I didn't watch the Swamp Kings, so I don't mm -hmm. know yet. I mean, what's wild is that's like who I consider the rival for LSU, and I've got a lot of friends that wore the orange and blue. You, Doring, Laura Rutledge, Andrea Adelson. I mean, I just got like, oh, Steffi Swartz, and like all these people. I'm like, yep. is it me? Like, do I have too many Gator friends? Like, maybe I should watch it. Maybe I should, you know, turn you definitely the other will. page. Listen, you got as much airtime as Percy Harvin did. <laughs> because one of the Wait, one of the they talked what? to Tebow about the phone, the cell phone number getting posted. Right. Because remember that was the week his cell phone number got posted. Yeah. So you know, they score early in the game. Tebow goes to the student section and does the call me thing. Right. And but so they mentioned I, I can't remember who they had talking about it. It was one of the players from the games, like we couldn't stop Jacob Hester. So <laughs> I was like, wow, that they're giving Hester full credit here. Yeah, hey, hey, I'll I will take it as a 38-year-old washed up running back. I will take full credit. But then I've got to go back, Andy. I've got to ask who was the guest picker last week that wouldn't commit to a game? Well, shockingly, it was Ari Wasserman, who has an opinion on everything. And <laughs> he just but but you 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 know how Ari can can kind of get off on tangents. And so he was right. He'd be talking about the game and then forget to say who he thought was going to cover. Hey, so, he covered both bases. He didn't exactly. give you a winner. Exactly. Well, I uh, I have a lot of crow to eat. I I said that Colorado was uh, was not going to cover against TCU. Mm -hmm. I said TCU was going to cover a 20 and a half point spread against Colorado. So I look really stupid on that one. Uh, I do feel very, very good about take Florida State to win and take the over. So yeah. I, I thought I did okay there. But it was not it was not my best week that the, the Colorado TCU game just messed me up completely. Yeah, I, I stayed away from that one completely. I just I had no idea. I don't think any of us had an idea like I wasn't good, bad or indifferent on Colorado. I really I just had no idea because we had not seen that team play together like we have not seen that group of young men. And a lot of times in college football, you'll have some new but new is like 10 or 15 even in the high numbers. Maybe you get to 20. Like, we're talking 60 different bodies on there. So, really, honestly, I wasn't one way or the other with them. I yep. thought TCU would be really good offensively, which they were, and I thought they'd struggle defensively outside of Johnny Hodges, which they did. But, man, I, I did not have Colorado being able to answer, answer, answer in that heat, in that environment. And Travis Hunter, uh, we used to call Anthony Richardson the unicorn. He no longer has that title. No. I think it's Travis Hunter now because to do what he did and to play both ways is one thing. Like, we've seen it before with Chris Gamble at Ohio State. We saw it with Champ Bailey at Georgia, and certainly we saw it with Charles Woodson at Michigan. But to do it that many times and to do it at that level and to be, I'll say it, be elite on both sides of the football, 
that's what makes him a unicorn. And I am fascinated to see if it can last this week with Nebraska coming to town mm-hmm. and then really throughout the entire season. Yeah, that's what I, I'm, I'm excited to see with, with Tony White's defense, which played really well against Minnesota. Like, I don't blame yeah. Nebraska's defense for that loss at all. How do they do now that they got film? Because before you had to watch this mishmash of you had to watch Jackson State for Shadur Sanders. You had to watch uh, Kent State to see Sean Lewis's offense. You had to, you know, and various different people. And then there's no, you have no idea how Dylan Edwards is going to look in his first game. Like yeah. you probably, re- they probably recruited him at, at, at TCU. So they probably knew a little bit about him, but. But even you know, like that speed, like I, I didn't, I, I knew he was fast. I didn't know it was that. So there was things that you can learn from that tape. And it's always that next week. I mean, you're right. Like, if I'm looking at that game, it's like, can Jeff Sims really, if this turns into a shootout, can he really make an impact? Can he keep up with what we saw the other day in Fort Worth? Like, can he not throw into cover one when the game's on the line and he's a veteran quarterback and he's played that many snaps when you never throw the dig route in that coverage? Like, those are still questions that I have. And, like, there was some good, but if it gets into a shootout, like, even though you do have that tape, like, it's, it's going to be hard to kind of play that type of game. So, Nebraska's, they really got to be careful. Yeah, and we've seen that kind of shooter. Let's, let's talk about that one. Let's, let's just yeah. talk about Nebraska-Colorado. It's Colorado minus three right now. I think this, is, this has got to be a tough one for line makers, too, just yeah. Colorado in general, because, you know, they, they took a bath on, on the TCU game. Then they come back. They install Colorado as a touchdown favorite. The gamblers bet that down to to three. Yeah. So the sharps are like, no, 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 it's it's gonna come back to earth. I don't I don't know what to think because like you said, there's tape, but if it's a shootout, yeah. I trust these guys now that I've seen them win a shootout against TCU, which probably has better talent defensively than Nebraska does. Yeah, I think you would be right in that. And then when I look at how the athletes are going to match up on the outside, like I'm going to give Colorado that advantage. And with everything surrounding this game, now there's pressure on Colorado now because now the world knows what they did on Saturday against TCU. But like this is Folsom Field. It's going to be at its peak, right? And these are proud football fans. They haven't had something to cheer for like this. I mean, the 2016 year, maybe so. You got to go back to like the early 2000s where they've had an opportunity to have a team like this and to have a real chance to go out there and do something special. That's why you see like the lowest ticket. I think and it's like 392 bucks like yeah. just to get into Folsom it's, Field. It, it costs more to go to this game, to buy the cheapest available secondary market ticket to this game than it costs to buy the entire season of Colorado football last year. Okay, that that gives you a perfect example of what Folsom Field is going to be like. So the home field advantage, all the juice you have from this week, if they can do a good job of not reading all the headlines and not seeing their name up there on the marquee blinking, which I think with, you know, Coach Prime, he's obviously he's been through that. So maybe he has and they did it at Jackson State, too. I mean, they were the talk of the town uh, at that level. And so they've certainly been able to handle that before. A bulk of these players who play for him at Jackson State, honestly, I don't worry about that. I think this is an opportunity for them. And I don't think they fold under the pressure. I think they go in there, they, they are the aggressor, not the counterpuncher, and they just out-athlete Nebraska. And I'm high on Nebraska. Like, I'm high on what Matt Rule can do but just not right now. And it's going to be athletes in space, basketball and grass, all the old terms that we use. And I just, I can't see this game if it plays into Colorado's hands, which I think they dictate the pace 
really, you know, staying close to that three number. I, I think so too. I, and and I'm, I'm scared because I was so wrong on Colorado last week that I feel like if I, if I say it now, it's going to just boomerang back the other way on me, but, but it's a three point yeah. spread. Like if, if Nebraska wins this game by two, I don't feel that bad. We're, we're talking about, we'd be talking about a five point difference. We're not talking about a, yeah. a, a 23 and a half point difference, which is what happened in the, in the TCU game. So yes, I will take Colorado to cover here. Yes. I, and, and, and as will you, we've been, we've been converted. I, I thought coach <laughs> prime was going to work long-term. Right. I just didn't think it, it would work right away because of the, the heart, how hard it is to get yeah. good offensive and defensive linemen out of the portal. I'm not sure they got either one, but they've managed to come up with a, a scheme that, that hides that. That's exactly right. And so the surprises were not, not really that you went out there and played like that. It's like you played like that against who you did it against. Like I'm mm -hmm. still not down on TCU. No. Like there's some things they got to fix, but I think that's still a team that's going to win a lot of games in the big 12. And so that was the most impressive part. And then you're exactly right, Andy, they hid some of their deficiencies. They got the ball out of their hand incredibly fast. Like if they felt like they couldn't hold up during periods of that game, they just got it out to the back and allowed him to go out there and make plays in space, which he certainly did had three receiving touchdowns. And so the game plan itself, it was perfect. And so that's the challenge this week. If I'm Nebraska, certainly with the new rules, and I have a running quarterback, you're not touching the ball. Like, I'm yeah. trying to keep it away. That that play clock is bleeding all the way till we get to, like, single digits every single time. We, we saw Duke do it to Clemson at the end of yeah. the game and, and actually ended up just pounding it down their throats and, and blowing them out. But, yeah, it is uh, – it, it's going to be – this is, this is wild because it is – uh, I was hearing the guys on part of my take talk about Dion, and, and they're right. He is just a fountain of takes. Like all he does is yeah. is generate strong opinions from everybody. And I do love how him being successful just makes certain people mad. So isn't that wild? It just <laughs> makes people mad. Like almost like they are rooting for his failure. I'm like, that's not how you're supposed to do it. It's like, how can you live your life with that as your attitude? The yeah. fact that you want, because he doesn't do it the way it's been done forever, you want it to fail. I'm like, look, that can be you. You're not going to catch me rooting against 18, 19, 20-year-olds because they're doing it a different way. Exactly, exactly. So we'll be back with more picks from Jacob Hester after this word from Bird Dogs. You know, we get into the analytics a lot, talking college football, success rate, efficiency. Well, let me tell you a way to maximize your efficiency in life. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just walk out of the shower, grab a pair of shorts or pants, put them on, not think about anything else, not think about having to buy underwear, not think about having to wash underwear? Well, behold, the fart Garfunkels from Bird Dogs. That's right. Your underwear are in your pants. And these shorts, they take you everywhere. You can go to the golf course. You can go to the bar. Meet that special someone at that nice brunchery down the street. They're there for you when you need them. You can have more to work. Bird Dogs has amazing pants. I've got the Stephen Jobs. They make me look professional, even though I'm actually going commando, and nobody knows it. I got my eye on the Jeff Pesos, those are the khakis. I also got my eye on the Flying Wasps. Those would be seersucker workout shorts. Bird Dogs has it all. They even have polos. Behold, the Fidel Bass Pro. You can look great, feel great, 
all the time, maximum efficiency. You want, you want your success rate in life to be 100%? Get yourself some bird dogs. And right now you go to birddogs.com slash staples. Use the promo code staples. You get a free hydro flask style bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash staples, promo code staples. Go ahead, start living a life of maximum efficiency. Speaking of different, well, this is the, the next one is a game of different and same. So Notre Dame and NC State, Sam Hartman making his fourth start against the Wolfpack. But this time for yeah. Notre Dame, instead of Wake Forest, he's one and two. He's actually thrown six picks in the last two meetings against that Tony Gibson defense. It's seven and a half point spread in this game. People are really high on Notre Dame's offense. We have not seen them play anybody. They're about to play a really good defense. Yeah, and they're playing a defense that yet again returns a ton of guys. Like that's the story really for them for like the last three years. They've had veteran guys and they return a bulk of those guys. And last week, I guess if and you probably know this, Andy, obviously, but like if you don't do a deep dive into college football, you see UConn and you just kind of hand wave it off. Jim Moore Jr. has actually done some really nice yeah. things there. And it's a better football team. And so, yeah, you only win. I believe the final was 24 to 14, but that was a hard fought, physical, tough football game. And so NC State to go on the road to get that victory. A lot of people are saying only by 10 against UConn. I put more stock into UConn, so I actually think that's a nice victory. And if you're an NC State fan, you loved seeing Brennan Armstrong with his legs. Mm -hmm. He can make the throws. Like, we know that. But now him being back with his offensive coordinator, we know how important that is as well. But, like, he made the plays with his legs. And I think that's the best version of him. When he's doing he's a true dual-threat guy. I think he had right under 100 yards rushing in that game against UConn. It's a tough place to play. It's a place that's going to be at its peak because every place is at its peak whenever Notre Dame comes to town. I like NC State to cover this, this number. Like, I don't know if they win outright, yeah. but I think they make enough plays. They play their style of football in their own building. And, again, it's a veteran team that has a defense that can certainly confuse you. So Notre Dame's going to have a real challenge here. Notre Dame, the first two weeks against Navy and Tennessee State has looked great. This is a different challenge, and it's going on the road in a nice environment like we're talking about here. And I'm still – like, I, I was incredibly high on NC State last year. I thought they were like a dark horse playoff-type team. They did not get there. They won eight games. Devin Leary went out, and that entire thing didn't look like we thought it would. They still have a lot of those Jimmys and Joes on that team. Now, I don't have that expectation for them, but they certainly can go out there, and they can win this game, and I certainly think they cover the number. So – I'm fascinated by this too. Marcus Freeman has actually played the Robert and I, Brennan Armstrong offense, but Brennan Armstrong didn't play. Yeah. So they, they played uh, Virginia in 2021 when Virginia had a, a very good offense, but Armstrong was hurt and Notre Dame won that game 28 to three. So uh, they, they've, they've actually prepped. Marcus Freeman has prepped for the, the and I Brent uh, Armstrong combo, but has yeah. not gotten to play against it. Transfer portals is strange. <laughs> It oh, really is. Man, I mean, get your red yarn out and get a board like in your office and just start <laughs> yeah, drawing like the strings of where guys are because like even the ones that that do deep dives into the portal, like you'll say a name, they're like, he's where? He's there? Oh, okay. Exactly. I didn't, didn't realize that. Yeah. And I mean, look, this this NC State defense will be the best test we've seen for Jared Parker and that that Notre Dame offense. And yep. uh it's Tony Gibson who loves to Rush seven or rush three, and but does not like to to tip you off as to which is coming until the snap, and and so that's 
that's the thing. You know, Sam Hartman in that Wake Forest offense, you're in the slow mesh. You're trying to wait for a, a passing lane to pop open. Yeah. This is a little different. He's in the shotgun. He's taking a snap. Theoretically, his line holds up. And those rush three moments, he's got all day to throw. Now, the, the yeah. question is, how well does NC State cover? Uh, it's those rush seven moments where you figure yeah. out how good is he, how quick is he to th- uh, thinking, how, how, how well does he know this offense? Because that's when somebody's wide open and he's either getting sacked or he's hitting them. Yeah. So, yeah. And we kind of talk about this when we talk about Mississippi State's defense, mm-hmm. right? You go against Zach Arnett, like he's going to bring three a lot. But when he doesn't bring three, it's like they are coming. Like he'll play cover zero quick. And it's like, okay, man, which one is he going to be? Because we're talking about completely different defenses. And then in the slow mesh, if you're dropping eight in the coverage, there's not a lot there. And then that three can get home because it does take so long. So this will be completely different for him. It's the matchup. And it seems cliche because we could go across a lot of games to talk about quarterback defense, but that's what it is because Sam Hartman has looked like a Heisman Trophy type candidate here in the early portion of the season. But this is without question the biggest test that he'll have and a defense that can confuse you. And you're right, like you don't know when it's coming. That's the best part about it. There's some of these defenses, and certainly once we get into like a three-three-five discussion, where they just they tip their cap and they tip their uh, hand, I should say, and kind of give you an idea of what they're going to do. If you disguise it right, I mean, think about that. The difference between three and seven as two former offensive guys, we know how confusing <laughs> that can be. So if Sam Hartman goes out there and he goes to Raleigh and he dominates, then everything that we said in the first couple of weeks will be heightened, and it will be true as well. Yeah, the the hype will be off the charts for Notre Dame if they win this game. And, and you know, they've got Ohio State in week four. I, you know what? I'm buying it. I'm taking them to cover. You're taking NC State to cover. I'm going to take Notre Dame to cover seven and a half, which is it, – it, this is a tough environment. I made the mistake years ago of saying, oh, NC State's not that tough a place. And then Florida State goes there, and, and you've got, a, you know, the giant dude waving his, t- his T-shirt on the, on the pole, and it's like – Oh no, that place is nuts. Like it's Oh yeah. It's I, great. So, yeah. My uh my NFL quarterback, Phillip Rivers, played there. And then we get in conversations about different stadiums, and he would be quick to tell me it might not have the same amount of people as those SEC stadiums that you played in, but it is an environment that everyone will appreciate. So I went back after I retired, and he's exactly right. And I think they were they were playing like a directional school. Yeah. And it was still a very good environment. So I'm a believer in what that place can be. Yeah, Carter Finley is a good football crowd. All right, another early game. This is a just a loaded day. It really is. There's, so there's intrigue everywhere. Texas A&M at Miami. This thing was a slog last year. It was awful to watch. <laughs> that might be the best. That might be a nice term for what yeah, it was. It was horrible. <laughs> this one, theoretically, everybody's better. Miami is a four-and-a-half-point mm-hmm. dog at home. I liked what I saw from AM against New Mexico. It was just against New Mexico. I liked what I saw against Miami against uh against Miami. And uh <laughs> not the spring game. They were playing Miami of Ohio. <laughs> but but they, you know, uh Francis Malinoa started at right tackle as a true freshman. That yeah. you know, we 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 were told he, he and Samson Okanola, who was another you know, five star plus freshman, they'd play. Yeah. And sure enough, Miami ran the ball really well. I thought that was impressive this front seven will be much tougher to run on than the Miami of Ohio. Yeah. And it's a strength of AM. and uh, last year, 
it was kind of a weakness, but I think you have veteran players that understand their assignments a little bit better, certainly in the run game. And you watch AM last year and the run fits were atrocious. I mean, they were just, they were bad. I saw, you know, an improved front seven because you knew the talent was there. I mean, that's why you send two guys from the front seven to media day. That's why you had those five-star guys up there because you have a belief in that position group. But I don't really know how to, how to view this matchup because I think there's so much pressure in this matchup for both teams, you know, for the same reason, but for different reasons as well. And so, like, if, if I'm Texas A&M, like, what are you going to do offensively? Like, are you going to have those one-on-one matchups that last week against New Mexico, like you threw it up to Stewart because you said, my guy's better than your guy. Are you going to have that same approach? I'm fascinated by that because – Your guy may not success. be better than Miami's guy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and their success last week was because they thought, hey, our guy's just so much better – Hey, Wegman, throw it up in the air, one-on-one coverage. He's wide open, basically, in our minds, and let him go make a play. Like, Are you going to have the ability to do that? Will we see more evolution in Bobby Petrino at Texas A&M? It's still very early in the process. This game being on the road doesn't really affect me one way or the other. I, just, I, don't think, I don't think it's going to be a venue that's going to terrify Texas A&M. I mean – Humidity is in College Station just like it is in yeah. Miami. And so, like, home and away doesn't really affect my decision in this one. I just want to know how do you attack Miami if you're Texas A&M because I, I'm just not sure that you can have the, the same thought process. I think a lot of your receivers, but Miami's got dudes out there on the edge as well, you know, very athletic guys playing corner, playing safety. So how they attack this Miami defense is going to be the story of the game. But I think A&M does realize they have to win this game. They cannot go out there and lose this game. And the number sitting there at four and a half, I like AM to cover that number because I think they understand they have to. Not they'd like to. They have to go out there and win this game if they want to be competitive in the Southeastern Conference this year. And for Miami, I still think they're a little bit off. I still think they're a little bit ways of being where they want to be. The recruits are great. I love playing freshmen as well. I love recruiting a five-star guy and saying, you know what, we're going to grow through you. But I think that's what they're doing. They're growing through this recruiting class that they just signed. And so for that reason, I think AM a little bit ahead of where Miami is. The losing coach of this game is going to get buried by his own fan base. Yeah. Buried. It, it, it feels like 2016, not to the same extent, 2016 Auburn versus LSU. Mm -hmm. When it was like Gus Loser Malzahn, leaves town. Les Miles, who loses and who keeps their job after this game. And Les lost on the last second play. They thought they scored. They didn't. And Les got fired that night, basically, but it came out the next morning. And it was a it was like the old Thunderdome, like two man enter, one man leave. It's not that, it's not that, but it feels like it could be that for the narratives continuing throughout the season. Yeah. All right. I am going to take Miami to cover here. I don't know that they necessarily win because I think this is going to be a low scoring affair. Yeah. But I will take Miami to cover here. Uh it's I I imagine this is going to be the defensive fronts and the offensive fronts just slamming against each other and, and maybe not a lot of movement, which kind of what it was last year. It was just a sloppier version of it. This, this might be a, a more high level version of that. Yeah, That game last year should have come with a, a warning. Like if you don't enjoy exciting, fun, high powered offense, look away. Like it should have had disclaimer on yeah. the front of that game because oof, I mean, even as like a, an old school 21 personnel fullback, that was tough to watch. Speaking of tough offenses to watch, our next game is for the Cyhawk Trophy. Oh, hey, I, I, I'm ready. <laughs> there it is. We put on the neck roll. 
Iowa at Iowa State. The neck roll has been applied. Yep. Oh, my. So my rule with Iowa games is we pick against the spread, but we also pick the total because, you know, <laughs> that you can't not. I laughed my ass off last week because they, they, they roll, you know, roll down the field on the first drive. So the first, first, first series touchdown pass for Iowa since 1991. Look great. Second drive, go for it on fourth down on the goal line. You, you throw it to throw to the tight end. Oh, I was like, they are rolling. Brian Ferentz is going to keep his job easy. 24 points total. I know. 24. How, I mean, isn't that just like college football poetic justice there? Like we talk about this number all off season long and you get one less than the number that we all talked about in the 25. It was like, of course they score 24 points there in the opener. And you're right. Like Cade McNamara driving down the field. It's like, wait a minute. I can turn on this tape and not predict exactly what the play is going to be. That's different because last year I could, I, I would get on to, to my film account and I'd be like, up oh, inside zone, outside zone, uh, play action. Like it was like an 80% hit rate. I shouldn't be able to sit in my office and predict what you're going to run because if I'm doing that, defensive coordinators are certainly doing that. And I'm like, okay, this looks a little bit different. But then you start to take your foot off the gas pedal just a little bit. And it's like, I don't know that you can afford to do that. Like literally, like because you got to score 25 in your contract. But like you've got to be more unpredictable because you've got a defense, Andy. You've got the number two overall defense in the country last year. You gave up three yards per play. You know how hard that is to do as a defense? You only gave up 17 total offensive touchdowns. You were so bad, egregiously bad on offense, 130 at, a, at the time, 131, that you only win eight games. Like, this is a team that if they just get something offensively, they're going to be a 10-win football team. Like, and that has to create friction in the locker room. How does it not? Yeah. We are doing our job at an elite level, and you're so bad on offense that we only win eight games. And so I was encouraged. I was excited. That's why I got the neck roll ready to go. I want Iowa to be good. I want Iowa to have a fullback because they still do and to line up and be able to run the football. But the bad part about it is, like, we always used to make fun of the toss dive at LSU because, yeah, it was outdated. It was old school. Like, they needed to evolve. But at least they had Leonard Fournette. They had dudes still carrying the football, right? They had Darius Geis. They had all these guys that were still out there in NFL backs, Jeremy Hill, so they were successful. It just didn't win them championships. I was doing the same things, but they're not successful doing it. But they continue to do it. And so I don't even know what the total of this game is. Okay, there it is, 36, 36 and a half. And you, could have, you could have said 26 and a half, and I said under. Sure. I Yeah, I, I'm taking Iowa to cover and the under. Me too. And I'm going to take Iowa to cover and the under almost every week. When, not when they play Penn State, probably. But most of the weeks of this season, until they do something different – I'm going to take Iowa to cover in the under. Yep. I'm, I'm right there with you. Because Iowa's defense is that good. Their special teams is that good where they can go and they can cover this game. But it's going to be under until the offense just continues to not do the same thing. Like, I, I just don't understand why they continue to do it. Like, the fact that Riley Moss, who got drafted to play corner by the Broncos, was their best offensive player the last two years and he didn't play offense, that tells you how bad it was. <laughs> like, where would they be without his pick sixes? 
Sam so, Laporta erasure here. I, I, I won't stand for it. <laughs> oh, I, I love Sam Laporta, by the way. He went to the perfect team. I mean, gritty. I mean, you see the sweatshirt, too gritty to be pretty. Like, that's oh, for yeah. Sam Laporta. Uh, he went to the perfect coach. But, I mean, what are we doing here? I would just evolve a little bit. Be true to yourself. Know thyself. Have your same identity, but do it in ways where we can't predict what you're running, okay? Because I want to wear this neck roll for you. 24 points a game, and they're going to have to evolve. They're not going to have a choice. <laughs> so, uh, all right, let, let us move to a game where another team I was re- I was wrong on last week. I, I was so sure that UTSA, as a favorite against Houston, was going to cover, and Houston beat them. And, and UTSA just could not, could not score in that game. This game's fascinating. We had G.J. Kenny, the Texas State coach, on yesterday's show. Jeff Trailer, the UTSA coach, was G.J. Kenny's high school coach. I mean, this is, it's another, it's a perfect Texas storyline. It is an episode of Friday Night Lights. It's unbelievable. Texas State, UTSA for control of that part of I-35. UTSA is a 12 and a half point favorite. I am taking the Bobcats here, Hester. And if you have not had GJ Kenny on your show yet, tell your producer, call him. Okay. He's he's a phenomenal interview one, but just to hear how they built this team. Right. And how they leveraged all their connections to find people in the transfer portal. Obviously, the headliners, TJ Finley, because he was at LSU and Auburn before that. And uh, he looked like an NFL quarterback in Texas State's offense. But uh, GJ Kenny's not shy about saying it. They, they beat Baylor last week. And he said that if you looked at those two teams, you'd have thought we were the Power Five team. Yeah. I mean, without question, uh, the way they built this team was a way that's like a case study kind of as we continue on with the transfer portal. And like our first real member of the case study was Michigan State. In the year that Mm -hmm. they had, they go win a New Year's Six Bowl game. And then obviously last year they kind of fall off the cliff. And it's like, okay, can this work? Like, can you sustain success with this model? And so Colorado is going to be in that conversation. Texas State now firmly in that conversation. But it worked for them this year. I know it worked for him right now, and I am excited to catch up with him. We haven't had a chance to have him on, but I've heard that from everybody, Andy, that has had a chance to interview him, and so I'm looking forward to that day. And what I saw against Baylor, and I know Dave Aranda really well, and I know his defense can be hard to crack. They cracked it. They cracked it wide open. They get Thor's hammer, and they just cracked that thing wide open, and I think they can continue to do that. I'm going to take Texas State to cover here. At, yeah, at 12 yeah, like, and a half, you give me that many yeah. points, I'll take them. <laughs> yes. Now, yeah, same thing with Colorado. Like, you know, don't read your headlines. Know that you got to get ready for this game. No, UTSA is a capable opponent that certainly will beat you if you're not. But TJ Finley has started in Death Valley, right? He has started in Jordan Hare Stadium. Like, he is going to be ready for this moment. And he has been through the fire already. And now he's coming out on the other side, a better quarterback because of it. I mean, that is a true arm talent wise Sunday quarterback. Now there's other things that got to play into that and we'll see if he continues to develop, but we always talk about UTSA's quarterback and Harris and I get that, but like, no, this guy right here, he can go out there and he can make all the throws and he is going to be the leader of what they do this year. So that's a huge number in a game like this. I like Texas state to cover this matchup and a game. I think it's going to be actually a well-played game. I think it's going to have some Christmas to it, but I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out because Texas State's a fascinating story. And UTSA has kind of already been in the spot that Texas State currently is in. And so can they regain all that confidence we had in them? Exactly. And UTSA was the one that was getting picked by the transfer portal instead of picking out. But, you know, Texas State didn't have a choice. 
they fired Jake Spavital, a bunch yeah. of people left. Like they, they, they had to fill the roster. And so yeah. they had no choice but to, to go deep into the portal. And yeah, 52 new scholarship players at Texas State. But it, it looked good. I mean, think about that number. Like when you and I were playing college football, like think about Can you that. Imagine. Number. I think we had one transfer come in. We had Sammy Joseph come in from Colorado, and we had like two guys leave, like in my four years at LSU, like leave and like go play somewhere else. Not like leave and just right. Like Lavelle Hawkins was a guy who ended up playing a long time in the NFL. Uh, quick story: He ran his first one ten test inside of Tiger Stadium. So like the first day that freshmen get there, right? He's from California. He came on mm -hmm. his visit in like November, like very end of the season, where it wasn't that bad of a weather day and. In Baton Rouge, he ran one 110 test. He looked at all of us and said, fam, it's too hot. I'm going back home and flew back to California <laughs> wow. that day. Went to Juco, went to Cal, played seven years in the NFL. He got fooled by the, the crisp November weather there in Baton Rouge. That's like a spring official visit to Wisconsin. <laughs> yes. Where you're exactly. like, oh, this is wonderful. Why, why, yeah. why does anybody talk about, about the weather here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is amazing. Now, uh, one of those... UT UTSA transfers uh, was their best receiver, who's now at Ole Miss. Yeah. Ole Miss playing at Tulane. Now, this is a, a really interesting line. Tulane is, is a seven and a half point underdog at home. Ole Miss favored by seven and a half. Uh, Ole Miss looked great against Mercer, but we we had Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl on the show the other day, and he was he was at Tulane, South Alabama. Which, by the way, South Alabama is a very good team. Tulane made it look easy. And Jim said Michael Pratt's even better than last year than, than when we saw him beating USC in the in the Cotton Bowl. I believe that. And Michael Pratt plays quarterback like he's a fullback. So you know that I love that. I mean, he, he has no regard for his body. Go back to the Oklahoma game a couple of years ago. Like, that's the only style that he knows. Cam Rising is the same way, right? And sometimes it gets him into some trouble as far as injuries. But my goodness, I love the toughness. And if you don't think that was a big win against South Alabama, I think it was 37-17 was the final, then you just hadn't been paying attention. In production, returning production, South Alabama was fourth overall in the country from a 10-3 and three football team that was a field goal away from beating UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Kane Womack is a star in the profession. Like, in three years, Andy, we could do this show again, and he's going to be somewhere that's a major power five. And I'm not oh, yeah. trying Kane, to – Kane Womack versus G.J. Kinney is, is yeah. what we're going to see in, yeah, in one exactly of those games. Right. And I'm not throwing shade at South Alabama because they have something pretty cool there with the facilities and – uh, you know, the indoor space that they have now and the senior bowl does a great job partnering with them. But that, that was a real program that Tulane just took to the woodshed. I mean, they were the aggressor the entire game. They were the better football team. So you're wondering after Tajay Spears, can they be the same team? You know, you lose a couple of other guys from that cotton bowl team. Well, Michael Pratt missed one pass in that game against South Alabama. Ole Miss better know that. Now, I think they do. I think they realize that. Now, this game being at Tulane is unique. It's not in Oxford. This game is going to be rocking. In fact, like I don't cover games anymore on the weekend, and it's life-changing. Uh, by the way, you get to watch games at home exactly. and go to the games that you want to go to. And my son, my oldest son's birthday is coming up this weekend. I'm like, hey, we can go to LSU Grambling right down the street, but we also can go 50 minutes down the road and go to Tulane and Ole Miss. And so like, we're deciding between which game to go to, and I'm not even going to lie to you. I wouldn't hate if he chose Tulane and Ole Miss because it is going to be a great atmosphere. Yulman Stadium has not seen a game like this. We know Ole Miss fans are going to travel. They want to go to Bourbon Street, do the whole deal, make a trip out of it. But this isn't just for show. Like This isn't like, hey, we're going to give you a solid and come visit your stadium. Tulane expects to win this game. 
Oh, and yeah. The number's sitting right there at seven and a half. There's challenges for Tulane and Willie Fritz. Like, how do you stop one of the best running backs in the country? Quinchon Junkins. I don't know how you get it done, right? But I got belief in Tulane that they're going to keep it under that number. I don't, I don't know that they get the out white, uh, right win. I mean, that's seven and a half. It's like I can see them a seven-point game, certainly. It may, maybe even a backdoor situation where it's a 14-point game, Tulane scores late, whatever it is. This is going to be a game, in my opinion, late into the game. Is it into the third quarter, fourth quarter? I don't know. Tulane is not going to be afraid of this Ole Miss team. I mean, last year, they beat the Big 12 champion and they beat USC. Now, obviously, they have a slip-up after K-State loses Southern Miss, right? you got to be able to handle success. I think they learned that as they went along. They revenged the loss against UCF. And so this Tulane team is battle-tested. Their quarterback, their head coach are battle-tested. This is going to be a slugfest, in my opinion. And Ole Miss better be ready for a full 60-minute game. Well, the, the receiver I mentioned before was Zakari Franklin, who's been hurt. Yeah. So we, we haven't got to see him at Ole Miss. We did get to see Trey Harris, who transferred mm-hmm. from Louisiana Tech. Yeah. Six catches, 133 yards, four touchdowns in his first game. I, granted, it's against Mercer. I get yeah. it. But it certainly seems like Lane has, uh, has found what he needed in the portal to keep that offense going vertically yeah. again. So yeah, it's, and, Jack, and Jackson Dark kind of asserted himself, in yeah. my opinion, in that game. I know Spencer Sanders played, but obviously when the game was well decided, that was big for Jackson Dart because it's like, wait, man, we got Spencer Sanders. We got Walker Howard. Like, is this my team? And I think he went out there and proved that it is his team, which I thought was big, even though like a lopsided victory, you can still take that from that game. Yeah. And I, I'm going to take Ole Miss to cover here. I, I think, I think they, they've added, you know, a, weapons to create a better passing game to go along with you know, the running game had to carry them last year oh yeah without doubt. i don't know that it's going to have to carry them this year so i, I think they're a little, a little more diversified and, and that's going to be a problem for a lot of teams that they play uh team we saw last week that we had big hopes for that got upset on the road texas tech went to wyoming and lost now oregon comes to lubbock Oregon's only a six and a half pay, point favorite in this game. I figured after Texas Tech lost to Wyoming that that number was going to be a little bit different, but I think mm-hmm. there's still some faith in Texas Tech that they are going to be better than than what we saw mm-hmm. in Laramie. I just I don't understand the Texas Tech, you know, love affair in the offseason. Not to say they're a bad football team because I think they can be good. And Coach McGuire, like I, I think he's a really good football coach. Like that was a defense that was like 123, I think, in total defense. And had a first round draft pick. Yeah, exactly. You lose an edge rusher, like the most important position, in my opinion, on the defensive side of the football. And everybody that we talked to on off campus, anybody that had any ties to the Big 12, it's like, watch out for Texas Tech. Watch out. I'm like, and finally, like, I forget, I think I was doing the show with Chris Button. I'm like, KB, why? Like, tell me why. Like, I think they can win games, yes, but why are we putting them in the same category as some of these other teams? And I just – I never really fully bought into all the hype that they had in the preseason. And then they go to Laramie and, yeah, a different place to play, altitude. Coach Bowl, by the way, we had him on the show yesterday. Oh, he's awesome. That's who I would be when I'm 65 years old and as a he head coach. He does not care. <laughs> not great. one bit. Like, he was so old school and just like, hey, here's what it is. Here's what it was. And I love that. And so – like Wyoming, man, they were down 17 to nothing in that game. And mm-hmm. they're like, okay, cool. Like, we're just going to go out there. We're just going to play our ball. We're going to find our way back. And they did. So if you're a Texas Tech fan, you're trying to pump sunshine. You're like, we were up 17 to nothing. We just didn't focus, maybe. 
but I never understood why Texas Tech continued to get love. And again, I think they can be that team because I think they have the right coach and we've seen Texas Tech reach heights before, just didn't think they were ready. And then maybe they read those clips as well because, well, you go out there, you lose to Wyoming and you got a team coming to town that has got a new identity. Dan Lanning has this Pac-12 team that's always been high-flying and fast and get on the edge. Well, he's got them playing pissed off and mad and angry and physical and all those things. And, like, I, I, for whatever reason, like Willie Taggart, Mario Cristobal, like, you, you get to Oregon, it's like it's a great job, you win, then you leave. And I don't understand why. I never have understood why, even if it's to go back home for Mario Cristobal. Dan Lanning feels like he wants to be there and wants to build that program. And now they're going to the Big Ten. It's a program that has taken on an identity that I never thought you could get out of Oregon. And that's scary for every other team. I think right. they cover and cover easy. I see Mario Cristobal being the head coach there, even though he left, I think allowed them to understand you can recruit good line of scrimmage talent here. It doesn't have to yeah. just be a bunch of good skill guys and some okay linemen. This is, this right. can, you can have really good offensive linemen and really good defensive linemen and then surround them with the same skill talent that you had under Chip Kelly. And I think that's, that's the thing. They, they're going to potentially have it all once they get to the Big Ten. Like, they yeah. have the capability to do that. And they're going to be – I mean, Texas Tech has to play Texas this year, but other than Texas, they're probably going to be the most talented team Texas Tech plays. So yeah, I mean, I, and I would argue right there with Texas, yeah. Because I mean, you look at the Oregon roster. Ooh, I mean, it, it's Jimmy's and Joe's all over the place. Yeah. So I, I'm going to take Oregon to cover here too, even though weird things do tend to happen in Lubbock. But I expected that number to be higher, and it, it would take some. It would take into double digits to get me to to back yeah. off that. And yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, you're right. Weird things do happen in Lubbock. My official visit to Texas Tech was a night where they beat Chris Sims. He was oh, a quarterback yeah. at Texas there. They were at maybe number three in mm -hmm. the country. And that was Cliff Leach's Kingsbury. first huge win there. Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury, Wes Welker. They went out there, and they played really well like they did so many times in Lubbock, and tortillas were on the field and the whole deal. Libations were had after the game. How about that? My, my hosts for my visit there were Cliff Kingsbury and Wes Welker. That was, a, that was not a bad time. <laughs> that was not a bad time on that official visit. Shout out to Sonny Dykes, though. First scholarship offer after that game for me. Listen, the man always knew what he was looking at. Always. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Sonny Dykes, man. I'll always appreciate my guy giving me my first opportunity to, like, know, okay, well, maybe you can play in college. And then Nick Saban's like, no, we'll, we'll take you. That did happen. That was, something, <laughs> <laughs> that was something that happened. You're like, I, I think this Saban guy might have a future in this business, so I'm going to go ahead and play for him. Yeah, it didn't take me long. Like, it, he couldn't get, like, the offer, like, out of his mouth before, like, I committed. I was waiting on that one. And I was actually committed to Texas at the time because I was waiting on the LSU offer that I didn't really ever know if it would come. And uh, having to call and disappoint Mac Brown, who is the best human on this planet, was one of the hardest days of my life. Having to call and, and like let him know Jacob, that I was accepting. I, I understand LSU. you want you want to stay home, and and I, I would love for you to be here at Texas with me, but I understand <laughs> the pull of home. <laughs> That's exactly how it went. And I, every time I interview him. He reminds me of uh, that phone call, though. So, yeah. At least you made it. You didn't, you didn't, now this is pre social media. So, you couldn't just send out a tweet like, hey, I'm going to LSU. You know, oh, forget no. you, Texas. My, no, my, my dad, 
my dad's a, a, a Marine and like family of, of military and, mm -hmm. and policemen for 35 years. No, no, no. That call was being made by, by me. Nobody else, not yeah. mom, not dad, not brother. That was me. And Hey, as like an 18 year old, 17 year old on the phone. That, oof, that was a rough one. And, and Max, like the greatest person, like I said. So I can't imagine what that call would be like calling like Kirby or, or coach Saban or any of those guys. Oof. Bo Pelini. Oh my gosh. God. Look, Bo Pelini's my guy. That was my yeah. deepest coordinator at LSU. I love that guy. I wouldn't I, that call. I don't know. I might have to ask that dad. Can you make this one for me, please? That's one of those where you hold the phone about five feet away from your ear and just let him go. <laughs> oh, that's a great. That, that might be the one that might be the toughest one to call. <laughs> All right. We got a few more games here. Let's let's head out west for a minute. Wisconsin at Washington State. This was the game last year when Washington State went to Camp Randall and won the game. And you're like, uh oh, Paul Chris. Uh oh. Well, now it's a completely different world at Wisconsin. Phil Longo, though, he promised it wasn't going to be yeah. pure air raid. They were going to run the ball, and they sure did run the ball in week one against Buffalo. I, I think you and I might have talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That was a big misconception about Phil Longo's offense. Yeah, he does have air raid principles, but when he has like his best players in the backfield, like he does with Allen this year, Wisconsin, he'll run the football. Oh, he yeah. did it at North Carolina. He had 2,000-yard rushers because they were the best players on that offense. Like Sam Howe's a really good player, but it's like, hey, he didn't have the guys to throw it to. We can turn around and hand it off to these guys, and they're going to be special. So he'll yeah, do that. Javante Williams and Michael Carter, by the way, both still good running backs. Yes, still playing. I just yeah. took one of them in my fantasy draft last night. They're still really <laughs> good running backs, and so <laughs> – He's going to look at his talent. He's going to play to that strength. And so not every coach can do that. A lot of coaches are like, no, this is my way. This is what we've always done. You're going to learn my system. He's like, why would I do that? We can still have the same principles. It blows people's minds for some reason. You can still run gap scheme runs out of spread principles. It can be done. It's different people with the blocking assignment maybe. You can still do it, though. And for whatever reason, people just assume you're not not—you're just going to run inside and outside zone. You can do that, too. Or you can get into pistol, and you can run stretch. Everything's available. And it's what Phil Longo, in my opinion, does really, really well in the run game is he has everything kind of up and ready to go, so you, you kind of keep yourself guessing. Josh Heupel does a great job, by the way, mm -hmm. of this as well. But in this game, I have flip-flopped more than a politician. I really, really have. I've gone back and forth, back and forth, and, and I haven't really settled. And I'm like, all right, what's going to be the deciding difference? It's going to be Luke Fickle. I think Luke Fickle's a top-10 coach in the country. I think last year was an embarrassing loss. Even though Washington State, seven wins, you shouldn't have been embarrassed. To Wisconsin standard and where they played that game, it was. And so even though Luke wasn't there, I still think this game means something to him. And so the deciding factor for me is Luke Fickle. They cover the six and a half, and they get a victory, a tough victory on the road. The, this atmosphere is going to be electric because this is Washington yeah. State on national TV, on ABC, a chance to show, hey, look at what you're leaving behind. 100%. Look how much we care. And we know they do. We see them on college game day. We, we understand. It's the third most, like, as far as, like, not the number because their stadium is smaller, but as far yeah. as attending in their stadium to the, whatever their capacity is, they're third in the Pac-12. The yeah. third, it's like 98% full last year was the number. They, yep. they want to come watch good football. So, yes, it will be a great atmosphere. Yeah. Unfortunately for, for the home team and the, and the crowd, I do think Wisconsin is going to cover this one. I, I, I think 
like you said, Luke Fickle makes the difference. I would when when he took the job, I said Wisconsin has changed its philosophy. Yep. This, is, this is something's different now. So I, I'm going with that until I see yeah. evidence to the contrary. The jobs he could have taken and waited for like this one. That should mm-hmm. tell you all you need to know. Yeah, yeah, because he could have waited out. You know, if if Ryan Day decided to go to the NFL, or yeah. if Marcus Freeman didn't work out at Notre Dame, or uh, you know, if, if James Franklin ever left Penn State, all of those would have been the ones. You'd if Harbaugh think. went to the NFL, Har- Man, I know it sounds crazy. I know for yeah. an Ohio State guy, but I mean that's a that's a great job. All the best coaches were born in Ohio. It doesn't doesn't matter. Youngstown, to be exact. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Harbaugh <laughs> was actually born on the Ohio side of the line too. I think he was born in Toledo. Of so. Of course. <laughs> there you go. All right. One more out west before we head to uh, back south for the big one. But yeah. Jaden Rashada mm-hmm. going to start again for Arizona State. Oklahoma State goes in a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Young Gundy will be starting yeah. at quarterback for the Cowboys. We were kind of wondering how that was going to – was it going to be Alan Bowman? Who, who would, yeah. Who's it going to be? Well, now we know. And – this one's interesting to me because Arizona State looked pretty crisp in the first half against Southern Utah. The weather came in. They were sloppy. I don't know how much you can you can say after a three-hour delay. I'm excited to watch this one, though. Yeah, both mm, both look clunky, uh, clunky at times. Uh, I mean, the second half against Southern Utah, the weather delay, that that is a tough situation. And trying to explain that to someone that's never been in that situation, and maybe it's almost impossible because you get so juiced up, so ready to go. We had one like that against Oregon State back in the day, and it's like we were great, high-flying, and then we sat there for like three hours. And oh, it's yeah. just like, what do we do? You, you, I mean, you can't go anywhere. You're stuck in this locker room. So I agree with you right there. That's a tough situation. But, you know, they never were able to put that game away. And like Oklahoma State, same thing with Central Arkansas. Like, same kind of game. It was, it was kind of messy. It was sloppy. It didn't look like we thought. And that's – you know, Central Arkansas is a good FCS team. I mean, they've won a lot of games. And I know they're known for their their blue, or purple turf, I should say. Mm-hmm. No, they're actually a, a pretty good football team. But still, like, it didn't look like the Oklahoma State that we have seen in years past. And when you have a quarterback like Spencer Sanders that's there for so long and you kind of know what to expect. And so even though Arizona State is starting a, another true freshman opportunity here with Jaden Rashada and it's going to be different than Southern Utah, I still like them. I like them in this matchup. I like this game being at home. I'm a little worried about Oklahoma State. I'm worried they're heading in the wrong direction. And they haven't had that fall off the cliff moment since Mike Gundy takes over four less miles. What was that, 2005? Yeah. They haven't had that year yet. But I think it's coming. And I think it's coming this year. I'm just not sure how well he's built for this era of college football. And and he's going to have to prove us wrong because it looked, based on their transfer portal out and transfer portal in, that – he may not be suited for this era. And we thought that Sonny Dykes will be. I agree with you. And we thought this would be an opportunity. Texas, Oklahoma gone. It's before we knew that you were going to get Utah and the other schools coming in, but we thought they were going to be able to have an opportunity to be the new standard of the big 12. I don't feel like that anymore. Like even if these schools that are coming in next year, weren't coming in, I don't have you there. Like they're going in the opposite direction. And this is an opponent that's going to be a conference foe. So if you go out there and you stink it up again and you lose this game, man, that momentum is just sliding down a hill right now in Stillwater. And again, like it has been a program that has been stabilized for so long. 
I mean, we're almost 20 years into this deal, and they haven't had that moment where you're like questioning, is this the guy? Can we move forward? No, I mean, he's brought your program to new heights, but now it's like you not only hit a U-turn, like you hit a U-turn, and now you're rolling down the hill, and I'm nervous for where this program is going to go and if it can get back to the level that we know it to be. Here's the thing. I still believe in Mike Gunny as a, as a game day coach. And I know that Kenny Dillingham has really revamped that roster. Mm-hmm. This is Jaden Rashada's first experience with a team like this. I'm, I'm going to take Oklahoma State to cover here because, again, I, I agree with all of the, the, uh, the factors you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think in the macro, Oklahoma State is probably not going to be what it has been in the Big 12. But, again, on game day in this individual situation, I'm still trusting Mike Gundy. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Cowboys in this one. And now we go to Tuscaloosa. Texas, Alabama. The Crimson Tide are a touchdown favorite. Jalen Milrow, Quinn Ewers. Who you got, Jacob Esther? Oh, man. I mean, this is a game we've all been waiting for for a long time since we had the epic battle last year in Austin. And for Alabama, we all know what the question was. Who's going to play quarterback? It was the offseason discussion that led every single college football show. And you brought in a quarterback and Tyler Buckner after the spring. And then there was like bigger questions because nobody went and won the job, but they did what they needed to do. In my opinion, if you didn't have one separate himself, it was always going to be Jalen Milrow. It had to be. He's got a skill set that can go out there and win games in multiple ways. Is it perfect? No, but it can be dynamic. It can be electric. It can be explosive. And it was last week against Middle Tennessee State. Now, Middle Tennessee State, no disrespect, it's going to be a different opponent. Sorry, Chris Childers, show pony. I'm not hating on your squad, but that's just what it's going to be. Our coworker at SiriusXM. Big big Middle Tennessee State guy. But, yeah, this is is a different animal here. And and the thing for me, Hester, is this is a level of talent at Texas that we have not seen at Texas for a while. It's not about their recruiting rankings. It's about the output. It's about what, what they, how they leave Texas. This group is going to leave Texas and get drafted. There's a lot like you look at those D linemen. Alfred Collins is one. Uh, Tamandre Sweat is a monster in there, Uh, which look, Alabama's got those guys too, but Alabama's always had those guys. This is different for Texas. uh, Kelvin Banks, the the left tackle for Texas, he's only a sophomore, but he's going to be highly coveted. The interior of Texas's offensive line may be the key to this game. Can they hold up if you know you've got Jaheim Otis bursting through the middle yeah. and and getting after yours because that look Alabama's pass rush is going to be good. We got Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner off the edges. That's yeah. a problem. But if it's a bigger it's a bigger problem if those dudes in the middle are pushing through and making the play implode. So yeah, that's because I, I can handle edge pressure. Edge pressure, yeah. I have ways where I can try to handle. I can send a tight end. I can send a back. I can send multiple yeah. people over there. I can throw quick game. I can do all that stuff. I can step up in the pocket. If it's from the defensive tackle position, and it's what like a big storyline in the LSU FSU game. It's like if you had Mason Smith in there, like mm-hmm. that was going to be a strength for you because as a quarterback, I have nowhere to go. If you're bringing it from the edge, my guy can run you around the rail. I can step up. I can step up to the left. I can find that window. But like you're saying, if it comes from right up the middle, that's when I'm in trouble. So that will be certainly a storyline to watch in the game. But look, if I'm Texas, if not now, then when? If I'm not ready for this game, after last year being right there, Bryce Young goes and wins the game for Alabama and very disappointing, right? And then I have a season that I was not satisfied with. And then I have all this talent. 
all this talent a year older. And I'm C. Sarkeesian. I'm going into the SEC. If not, when are, are you going to be able to do it? If, if not now, when are you going to be able to do it? Right. Are you going to be able to live to that standard of eliteness and playing in a game like this and expecting to be not only competitive, but have a chance to win? So no team in the country has more pressure on them, in my opinion, this year than Texas does, even more than Oklahoma, because you're going into the Southeastern Conference, because you have every eyeball on you, because you've got people like Urban Meyer saying you're the most talented team in the country. I feel like they have the most pressure. And can they handle that pressure? Well, you know how you handle that pressure? You go out and you beat what is the standard of college football. Now, Georgia's in that conversation now, too. But Coach Saban and what he's built there, like we still hold Alabama on that pedestal, right? If you go and you beat a team like that, then you get confidence. And then you can move forward as a team that, you know what? We're going to go from a talented team to a damn good football team that can win every single game that we play. And if you want to be the true Texas, if you want to be the team that gets talked about in the benefit of the doubt club every single year because you've earned that right, you got to win a game like this. If you lay an egg in a game like this, that is going to be so disappointing to so many people because you have what it takes to be in this game, and it's not physically. It's the mentality that you have to have to play and win a game like this. That's what I want to see from Texas. I want to see from the opening kickoff, you have the belief and the mentality that you can go take the fight to Alabama and win in a matchup on the road, tough environment against what is a standard, you know, whatever you want to, blue blood, blue chip ratio, whatever you want to call Alabama, right? They've always been that for the last 20 years. What an opportunity for Texas to go and try to prove a lot of people wrong. So last year I had to drink an entire bottle of Bijan Mustardson because (laughs) Texas covered this spread. I know you're a foodie, but that still had to be awful. It was, you know, it wasn't bad until about 90 minutes later. Then it was really bad. Yeah. Uh, but I here's the thing about Texas. My only issue with Texas is always they lose the games they're not supposed to lose. They, they don't get up for for those games. Yeah, they will get up for this game. They will be up for this. I have no doubt, and I I agree with you about the pressure. But there is one game on the schedule where the pressure's not on them, and it's this one. They're not supposed to win this one. They're the underdog. This is the only game the whole year where they'll probably be the underdog. And that's why I think they cover. I don't know if they win, but you're going to give me a whole touchdown. I feel pretty good about Texas covering that number. So I I just, I think the the, the pressure's on Alabama. Texas will be up for this. Now we'll talk again when Texas plays Texas Tech about who's up for what game, but they're going to be up for this one. So I will yeah. take Texas to cover. You, you, you going Alabama cover? No, or? I'm going Texas to cover yeah, this oh, game as go. well. I am. I, I'm right there with you. And I, so when we talk about the pressure and I do agree, like there's not that pressure on them in this game because I don't think anybody expects it, but you, you play for Texas. You're the Texas Longhorns. Like, you should expect to be in this game. Like you should expect to be not only challenging Alabama, but you see, I mean, you should expect victory, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that I think that until Texas takes that step with their mentality, I think they're always going to be held back a little bit. But I mean, I agree with you. Like nobody's picking them to win this game, but I think they need to expect themselves to win this yeah. game. And I need to see that change. Like when I was playing college football, like when you had Vince Young out there, and even after I was done, you had Colt McCoy out there, they believed no matter who the opponent was, they were the better team. 
and it might not even be true, but they have to have that belief. Like I, Texas, show me that you've got grit. Okay. That's, that's what we try to live by on off campus, grit, neck rolls and low man wins. Show me all three of those things, please in this game, because I need to see a mentality switch from you. And I think Sark has it. He's been around coaches that have it, and Pete Carroll and Nick Saban. Show me that your team is finally going to have that mentality in a game like this. Might have to put the neck roll on for this one. That's, <laughs> it's a, that's, the, way you, that's the way to watch a game. You throw that neck roll on, kind of lean back. Yeah. You can rest during the timeouts. <laughs> yeah, when you're almost 40 like, you know, like I am, it's like it comes more of a pillow. But, yeah, you know. Ooh. Look at your cowboy collar. I always felt like that was an easier one to rest your rest your head against. Yeah. So did you? I mean, did you have? Did you have like the old Douglas collar? I did not that? have the Douglas one. I had. A, I had in high school. I had a massive neck roll. Oh, so you had like the all stud. It made me look cool in the picture. Uh, and then I switched to the cowboy collar. And then in in college, just the the basic kind of towel neck roll. It was nothing nothing special. Yeah, we used to have a check at LSU, and I hate to put this out there. If you had a Douglas collar on playing linebacker and you had us in man coverage, like we would have check neck roll. And that meant that <laughs> that meant that you could turn your, your route into an option route where you could break it out, sit it down, or go down the seam. Check neck roll. I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, we'll be watching for those Douglas neck rolls this week. <laughs> Jacob Hester, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely, man. You're the man. You've been so gracious with your time. Anytime you need me, I'm here. Appreciate it. That's right. Those LSU Saban teams and the early early era Les Miles teams, if uh, yeah, if you were wearing the Brian Cox s neck roll and you thought you looked and played like Brian Cox, the senior who played for the Dolphins, uh, yeah, they they were gonna throw right at you in man coverage. So for our extra point today, we go to Tuscaloosa, site of the biggest game of the weekend. And let's we'll we'll time travel back to Saturday after the Middle Tennessee game, and a reporter named Austin Hannon, who who writes for uh, SI's Bama Central site, he asked a question of Nick Saban after the game Saturday about Jalen Milrow's performance and and what it might mean going forward. Yeah, he talked about Jalen needing more experience moving forward. How do you think tonight's you know positive performance will help him moving forward to next week and beyond? And who is that? Jalen Milrow. So you're asking me to speculate, and I, I ask a, answer a hypothetical question about how some guy's going to perform in the future. I don't really know. I mean, I love him. I think he's doing well. Uh, I know he's working hard to try to improve. He's a good competitor. He'll do everything he can to play his best. But I don't. I don't have. This is a Coke bottle. It's not a crystal ball. How do you think of play? Do you know? Do you have any idea? Uh, hard to know. It's what we all strive for, though. I mean, we want everybody to play well, and we're going to try to prepare them the best way we can. But that's why you play the games. That was vintage Nick Saban saying something that he wanted to say, kind of regardless of what the question was, because the question was pretty, pretty tame. It was actually referencing back to something Saban himself had said earlier. So he was, he was correctly paraphrased in context and then asked the question, and he went off, which he has done many, many times in the past. Here's one thing he's not done. Come back and said, you know what? 
It was a little too harsh on that answer. Austin, uh, look, you know, you didn't ask a bad question the other night. I just didn't answer it very well. And, um, you know, when a guy plays well in the game at any position, it should help his confidence and it should help him perform better in the future. But I do think that every player, you know, has to understand that just because I played well, I still want to try to improve the few things that I could have done better. And I think if a, a, a person keeps that mindset, then they're always improving, right? Because you're never satisfied uh, and you're always trying to do better. Uh, and you don't let complacency creep, creep into your game. And that certainly hasn't happened with Jalen. So, um, you know, hopefully the confidence that he gained in this game will certainly help him to continue to play, you know, better and better in the future. That's what we hope for as coaches. That's why, what we try to encourage him to do. So, uh, and that should have been my answer the other night. Wow. A little bit softer side of Nick Saban. Did not see that coming. That was Wednesday night. And clearly that bothered him. The, the way he answered the question the first time bothered him. And, and he comes back. Because, I mean, he's been ripped before for saying stuff like this at a press conference or for answering questions that way. And he hasn't come back like that. So one of two things will happen. Alabama will win and we'll write a thousand think pieces about how it's a, it's a softer, gentler Nick Saban for the 2023 NIL transfer portal era. And now he's adjusted and adapted better than anyone else. And he's going to win seven more national titles or they'll lose to Texas. And the first thing you hear on Monday at 3 PM Eastern time will be Paul. Nick Saban's gone soft. I think we might have started looking for a new coach. It will be nothing in between. It will be one of those things. Guaranteed. Got a big show for you tomorrow. We're going to be talking Nebraska, Colorado. We're going to be talking Notre Dame and NC State. And ESPN's Tom Luganville will join us to break down his incredible performance. Getting to Mike Elko in the middle of a field storming after the Duke-Clemson game. Talk to you tomorrow.